Welcome to a brand new episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast. In this episode, we are joined by Cole to discuss in the importance of SEO with us. Cole, can you give a brief introduction of who you are, what you do, and what your favorite happy hour beverage is? Hey, my name is Cole Turner. I am an engineer at Netflix working in acquisition, and my favorite happy hour beverage is a mezcal mule. Let's give introductions of today's panelists. Stacy, you want to start it off? Sure. I'm Stacy London. I'm a senior front-end engineer at Atlassian. Jeb Young, senior software engineer at Netflix. And I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a software engineering manager at Netflix. In each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we love to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned at all in the episode, we will all take a drink. And what did we decide today's keyword is? Keyword. Keyword. So meta. I love it. (laughs) So if we say the word keyword, we will all take a drink. All right. Before we really jump into SEO, I feel like a good way to start is what does SEO stand for? Search engine optimization. Right on. I was trying to think of a funny, funny one. <laughs> Serious engineers over engineering. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that uh, adds another E at the end, but that's okay, Joe. It's hyphen. It counts. <laughs> oh, that's, that's fair. That's true. <laughs> Why is SEO so important? It's a good question. Uh, you know, I, you and I were talking about this, Ryan, where it's like, if you build something awesome, What's the point if users never come? And so search engine optimization is really important because you got to put your product out there and search engines are essentially the front door to the internet. Oh, that's true. Because yeah, like you're not just typing in www.blahblahblahblah.com and hoping that it's a great website. You're you're having to search for something. And usually, I don't know how many times you all spend time on the second page of Google, I don't think I make it very far to even the bottom of the first page. There's a second page? Oh, man, <laughs> all, all these years. I've, I've heard that, yeah. It's an urban legend. I feel like it's even worse on the mobile phone, right? Like, it's usually like I just want it like on that little bit of a screen. I'm like, there, done, go. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely if you're wanting your website to even get traffic, it's it's super important. Also very hard. Like I think that's the thing too is it's it's very important, but it's also something that takes a lot of work. You know, it's not just like put a couple keywords in you get on the top of Google. Cheers. Cheers. It is. It's it's practically a full-time job and that's why like a lot of companies will hire dedicated SEO experts or they'll even outsource it to another company because it's there's the basics and then there's the things on top of the basics where you're optimizing the pages and the content and that takes time it's not something you just do instantly it it takes this kind of iteration and checking and monitoring and then iterating from there and changing cuz like the algorithms will change and the you know how certain search engines rank certain things that algorithm changes and you're not privy to it so you have to kind of guess, which is why there's these consultancy firms that pop up because they can stay in business because the, the, the rules keep changing. What I think it's really interesting too is to all that that you just said about like having experts or yes, there's consultants who think about it and really have to pay attention to those things. But it's also really hard to, Coley, I think you alluded to this, but it's hard to measure because of the time too. It's not like, hey, after a week, this change will show up. It might be weeks. It might be a month. So even as you make changes, you're like, did that do something? I think that's always been my biggest struggle. 
I hope that did something well, but you don't quite know. Yeah. And I like the way you phrase that because there is a component of emotion to SEO. And I know that sounds ridiculous where you're like, why would I be, why would I care so much about SEO? But it's that hard work that you throw out into the world. And then you're waiting on that return. You're waiting on hopefully the changes that you make will prop your page up on Google or any other search engine like Bing or even Yahoo. There, there are other search engines. No, that's, uh, I've, everybody's making good points. We, I think as engineers, we underestimate the importance of SEO. And it's like, oh, yeah, uh, Cole, like you're saying, you build something awesome, but nobody knows about it. Who cares? Like, what was it for? If you're building a, a consumer product and consumers can't find your page or your app, then what's the point? So you, it's something we totally forget about that, like marketing and SEO are actually critical to some of the things we build, a lot of things we build. The, uh, the consultant angle is interesting because what I've seen, and I have almost zero experience with SEO, like practically none. But from what I've seen is it's a lot of uh, voodoo magic and people claiming things and like, oh, you got to do this weird trick and this and this. And what I've seen is just it's a lot of people guessing and they have vague ideas about what the search algorithms are looking for, but they can't really prove it because... I'm sure kind of like Netflix's uh, personalization engine is like pretty secret, even even for people who work there. I'm sure Google's uh, search ranking algorithm and page rank is like also very super, super top secret. Not that anybody can understand it anymore. It's probably like millions of lines of code, but I, I don't know. It's just like a, a buyer beware. If someone's like, oh, I can get you to the front page or whatever, be careful. A lot of people use dirty tricks and things that will get you um, like banned or delisted to get you to the front page. And like, uh, it's a whole murky world. There's entire SEO conferences and I don't know what they're about, but <laughs> I imagine they're kind of boring. I, th- I mean, I think there's value. I think there's probably good tips that the, they have, right? In order to, I think you're right though. It's like the bold statement, I will get you the top of Google. That's a, that's a pretty big statement and not always that simple. And and yes, like, all right, let's say Netflix. Yeah, if you search Stranger Things, Netflix, watch on Netflix or something like that, you'll be at the top if that's your keyword. Cheers. 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 It used to be a lot easier, actually. What's, what's interesting is over time, Google has made it harder to gamify the system. It used to be that you could just throw keywords onto your page and Google cheers. was like, cheers. Oh, cheers. You could throw terms onto your page and um, Google would pick up on these terms and then they would see, oh, your, your page is valuable now. You've added these keywords. Sorry. That. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. What's funny is when I first started SEO, we, we installed scripts on websites where because Google would tell you the search queries that the users are coming in from, you would add those to your database, put them on your page, and then your page would rank higher and higher. But once everybody started doing that, then the algorithms became more sophisticated and harder to gamify. And now they're including things that are not even just about content. It's like, is your page fast? Can it load fast? And it's like, you can't, you can't fake that. It's <laughs> No, you really can't. And yeah, but there's to like, now they're leaning into more of the user experience. You should be ranked higher if, if someone's trying to find something really helpful. They don't want to be sitting there for a long time, especially with mobile. Like I made the comment to being on mobile, but I think it's more and more important being on mobile as being really quick. 
So Jem and Cole, you both kind of mentioned previous experience. I thought it'd be really interesting. Like Jem, it sounds like you've had no experience with SEO. What's everyone's really experience like? I feel like we've all probably been somewhat exposed to it in our jobs, but I'm, I'm curious to hear each of your experience with SEO. Mine's been, I, I think I fall more kind of in the Jem's category of like, I just haven't focused on it at all for many, many, many years. Like I've, I've worked on some public sites like way back or kind of earlier in my career that were content based sites that you wanted to make sure people could search and find. But that was like early days of some of the search engine stuff too. So it wasn't, I, I don't remember spending a huge amount of time like optimizing it. And I also wasn't like working for, uh, the thing I was working on was not like mission critical that it, you know, be at the top of the list. So I generally understand like best practices around it, like use semantic markup and have your content be meaningful and um, have your page be fast, like that kind of stuff. I, I understand, but like the nitty gritty of it, like the real detailed stuff that'll take you from page two to page one. I don't know that that that's the magic. It really is magic. Uh, so I've been obsessing over SEO recently. I redid my personal website. And for those who don't know, I share a name with a fictional character who, of a popular TV show, puts me down on page like five or six of Google. I'm like one of 10 popular Cole Turners and I'm usually number 10. But uh, I started obsessing over it and I was like, okay, how do I at least get to page one? I started writing blog posts. I started looking for backlinks. And um, this is where earlier, you know, I'm talking about the emotional component where you're watching your, your work help prop you up. And I'm moving from page six to page four, page three, page two. And I, I remember posting about this because I was so excited the day that I reached page one, where I was, I was throwing myself a party. Um, but the interesting thing about SEO is it's not permanent. You know, when you make a change, it props you up for so long and, uh, SEO is an algorithm. So what works for one day for these search queries will perform differently the next day or on a mobile device or even in incognito. So because Google is personalizing the search queries, that page one experience, it'll waver between page one and page two. I like that too, is like, this is a constant, it's a constant ongoing thing that you need to be thinking about and strategizing to make sure that you are at the top yeah, for, for me, I don't, maybe I'm in a mix. I feel like I've had exposure enough throughout my career, but it's funny is some of the stuff that I think back to when I early really focused on it, it's changed so much that like those things that I knew back then are irrelevant right now. Maybe not all of it. I think some of the things still hold up, but I think my first time really being exposed to it was right out of school. I was working for an agency where we were doing some government sites and, and it was really important for search terms to just get information available to people. And so we were focusing on that a bit. And then what I really felt I learned a ton from was I just decided I'm going to start my own blog and content site. And, and it was like 
this is like 2004 or something like that. So I spent a lot of time just like experimenting with different things and started really ranking high. And then I kept this, this site. I mean, the site still exists. It's an art and graffiti blog that's, it doesn't get updated, uh, but the content is still all out there. But like it ran for like five or six years where I was updating content on a daily basis, um, like fairly often. And I just learned a ton from that. And then I feel like I've done a little bit worked a bit on Netflix, uh, thinking about that. And then even when I was at Evernote, that was something that we were thinking about as well. So there's just always been a little bit throughout my career where I've been working at it, but I don't know that I would ever say like I've solely focused on SEO. It's funny you bring up government websites because if you've ever typed DMV California into Google and found a site that wasn't the DMV, it's people that are competing with you to provide the information that either the DMV doesn't provide or that they haven't optimized. That is actually funny. And weirdly enough, I'm pretty sure it was yesterday or this morning that I was searching DMV, oddly enough, in Google. And I did notice that you have to look at the domain or else there's like other people's content that's there. Right. And these people make a ton of money off of being number one on Google. And that's what everybody's fighting for they're fighting for that number one position whether it's through the the search terms or featured snippets having rich structured data on your page all of this is valuable to google or other search engines because they believe it provides a better user experience how are those sites making money cole all they're doing is providing similar information that the dmv has that's a good question they're putting advertisements on the site they're linking out to premium services subscriptions um, some of them will do like, hey, here's how you file for registration and a license and we'll do it for you. Ah, oh, nice. I mean, hey, someone want to go stand in line for me at the DMV? <laughs> yeah, I would pay for that. <laughs> Spoken it's like a rich worst. guy. <laughs> <laughs> Cole, could you speak to, I guess, the dangers of, say, ranking higher than a legitimate site? So if I'm looking for uh, the DMV, uh, like what's what's the danger of being ranked lower than a not official site. So um, as correct me if I'm wrong, you're asking what's the danger of being not the DMV and being ranked above the DMV? Yeah, what's the danger of, uh, let's say I have a product, uh, I don't know, it saves orphans. It saves orphan puppies. Uh, it's called Puppin Orphan Care. Anyway, but let, let's say I have this world-changing product, but I cannot rank... I'm only ranked middle of the search engine algorithm. Like, what's the problem with that? Or is there a problem with that? Ooh, that's a great question. So if you are putting out this product to save orphan puppies and you're on a mission, you're, you're doing the world's work, but you're not ranking high enough, then that competitor is siphoning your traffic and they're taking their users, your users, and they're keeping them on their sites. So while you're trying to save the orphans, they're selling advertisements. And they're making money off of your cause and the work that you're doing. And so that's why SEO becomes really important is you want to put your product higher up on Google so that the users are coming to your site so that Google values your site higher than those. Um, I don't want to call them scammy sites, but they're <laughs> like, I mean, if, if you're selling services for the DMV and you're not the DMV, don't trust you. Yeah. Is this sort of like the misinformation problem that we have? We're having like kind of now more than ever where it, the problem could be that someone that's propagating things that are not um, accurate 
get ranked higher and so it spreads misinformation like that's a danger that seems like a dangerous thing yeah that uh, and to i guess to like illuminate cole's point a bit we don't really check where we're going we trust google so we're like google dmv is a great example because i too have struggled to find that website sometimes and i look up california dmv I go to the first ranked page, so I assume Google's algorithm is correct and it knows it's talking about. There's people that get paid millions of dollars to get it right. But all it takes is someone to control A, control C, so then the HTML on the DMV webpage, and then make a webpage that looks exactly like the DMV. And I'm like putting in my credit card and all these other things, and I never stop to actually check if I'm on the right site. And increasingly, as the, the internet becomes more complex and people can make websites very, very easily then like copycats and clones and things that are slightly off become a bigger problem uh, because we just implicitly have so much trust in search engine algorithms that they're going to give me the correct answer every single time. Yeah, that actually makes, I'm curious, Cole, you were doing all this work and you said, you know, getting from like page, you know, three to two in Google, did that same, did you notice that same change in like in any other search engines? Were you testing this? sort of theory out with other other ones as well? That's a great question because Google is one of many search engines and it is popular because it's in it's embedded in browsers. But you know, there's Bing and all of these search engines will provide these really useful tools for you to perform diagnostics or monitor the performance of your, your website. And so like, as I'm checking Google, I'm also checking Bing because while something will rank high over here, in Google, uh, it won't rank as high over here in Bing. And so you're kind of, it's it's a balancing act. It sounds complicated. What's funny is, um, uh, Jem, I, I love how you're bringing up the, the point about, like, can I just create a copycat website? Because as search engines have become more sophisticated, they've, they've developed like duplicate content detection. So um, in, in the days of yesterday, it used to be that you could just create a web page. Put it out there and it, it'll rank as long as it's not exactly the same but over time search engines have become smarter and smarter about recognizing duplicate content even in the same site so uh, i'll give you an example recently we launched a campaign on netflix to watch content for free so free tv show and movies and we couldn't just copy content from the home page or from another category because Google would see this and they'd be like, okay, Netflix isn't as valuable. So our SEO experts, the team came together, they wrote some new copy and some provided new content. And as a result, the page started ranking high really quickly. And even above some of the other pages where we are, you know, we're offering content and free content. Yeah, I think that, I'm glad you said that, Cole, because I think that is an important piece that it's like, there's a trick to writing the content. And I don't want to say a trick in the sense that you should write content for SEO. You're adding different value, right? Like this this page that you're speaking about wasn't an exact copy of something else. It's offering something completely different than the rest of Netflix pages. But so you want to write different copy versus like, eh, it's kind of similar to that page. So I'll just copy and paste, which you totally could, but then, yeah, the search engines are going to be like, oh, well, that, that just kind of seems like the exact same page. And so they're not going to really pay as much attention to it because they're like, I already knew that information. I don't need to learn new information. Um, but you're telling them, no, this is a different page. Right. And so, like, you can't copy and paste anymore. You can't just, you know, take this sentence over in here and put it over here because Google really values 
unique content. So more content that's uniquely written and like the descriptions, the headlines, everything needs to be optimized around, okay, what, what keywords am I targeting or uh, what's my audience? What do, what do they look like? What are they searching for? Cheers. 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 And so it's like to, to that point, it's not so much, and Jem said this really well earlier, to that point, it's not so much a, a, a science anymore. It's an art. It's copywriting is an art. SEO is an art and kind of crafting the right page. It involves all of these moving pieces from unique content, optimized descriptions, semantic HTML, headings, alternative tags, because accessibility and user experience really matter too. I like that you brought that up too, like alt uh, tags for images and like being strategic about writing descriptive tags. What they're meant for is, is more for accessibility, but that's also respected for search engines. It kind of gets back to that whole usability. That's an important thing is like Stacy brought up speed. Oh, that's a usability thing. That's better for the users. So we're going to reward you for being better for users. And same thing for caring about accessibility, semantic markup. I know Stacy mentioned that too. All those are meant to be better for the user. And so you're actually getting ranked for it. It's not like you're like, oh, I'm going to fool the search engines. No, you just make a better site for everyone. And the search engine is going to reward you for that, which is great too. Do you all uh, remember, like this is going back definitely a while ago, and it's totally going to bring up our keyword. Cheers. Cheers. It's such a meta keyword. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. So meta descriptions are still a thing, but do you all remember the meta keyword tags? Cheers. Cheers. Oh my God. Mm. Cheers. That was literally a thing though. You would just like have this comma separated terms that were just written a bunch in there and like that was helpful that was actually useful uh and then or there was the art of hiding content you would put like a bunch of extra content in the footer it was like a black background and so you'd make the text black or white <laughs> background white text like there was a lot of interesting things that you could do to optimize your site for search engines and quickly obviously search engines like google were like yeah we're on to these games and we're shutting that down i guess the the meta tag wasn't really that was actually a thing that was like used by them but they started to deprecate and say we don't care about that anymore it's more about the terms that are used in the content but that stuff that stuff lasted a long time i mean google was quote quick to respond but quick meaning like a while like that was oh, yeah. those were techniques that were used for years <laughs> 90s and like early 2000 like i feel like that was a long time that that went on mm -hmm. yeah there was a whole underground market for that sort of thing and as google caught on they just got even clever and then google, it's like a cat and mouse game so they would develop a new technique google would pick up on it over time uh it's become a bigger penalty to treat search engines differently than you treat your users so mm. a search engine is a user after all yeah it really is it's it's a bot, but it's technically a user versus like, I, I've definitely heard things like even for accessibility is like, oh, can we just serve a different website or application for someone who needs a screen reader? And it's like, well, no, that's not a great idea. It's the same thing as like, can we have a separate website for search engines? It's like, no, that's not a great idea either. It doesn't work. Or just like Cole and your, your mention of the, the cat and mouse game of like SEO, which is there are more bad actors trying to pollute search engine results than there are people like Cole who are try just trying to like put their site appropriately, get it appropriately ranked. Uh, 
I, I think I've said it before, but I, I don't think as engineers we appreciate the original pay drink algorithm that uh, Sergey and Larry developed the the pay drink algorithm, which at the time was revolutionary. I, I know a lot of people listening probably don't even remember the internet before Google, but there was a time when Google didn't exist. And like to get listed, you had to manually submit your web page to every single search engine out there. There's Dogpile and Alta Vista and or, or there was curators, the Yahoo, like, yeah, they, they, they curated it and like, made it, it was manually. all manual and yeah not not scalable like you have to manually submit your page or someone curates it manually that doesn't so like their their algorithm was brilliant because like it ranked pages by the number of pages that pointed to your website so yep. coal coal codes it would be ranked based on how many websites re- reference his website which is like a really brilliant way of saying like oh what's a quality website the one that everybody's talking about well how do we figure that out we know that because we can just look at uh, anchor tags and figure out who's pointing back. And then people started hacking those. And they just like, if there's a comment section on your website or anywhere else, they just like post their spam of a bunch of links. Yes. And then it would artificially raise your, their the, whatever the spam page ranking algorithm. Because so Google's like, oh, yeah, there's a ton of web pages pointed to this. It must be a good page. Let's rank it higher. Then Google got wise to that. And then like ever since then, it's been like this constantly evolving battle. And it's like super important. And I, I still think we, we discount it. I probably don't appreciate the work that people put in to make sure Netflix stays ranked above, I don't know, Wikipedia, which is a, it's a constant battle. Uh, yeah, it, it's just like this whole niche of the web that we just don't think about. At least I don't personally. Do you remember web rings? Yes. Oh. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, I'll make a site, Jem will make a site and we'll link to each other. And then at the footer of every website, you just have like 10 links. And so all yes. of these backlinks just add up. And as Jem says, over time, search engines have gotten smart to that. And now what matters mostly is unique links. And so all these backlinks it's not just the number that matters anymore, it's the value. So if I go and make 10 websites that have no value and I, I link to coal.codes, then my website doesn't mean much. But if I were to get my link on Wikipedia or Yahoo or another really popular site, Google's gonna say, wow, well, Wikipedia is linking, linking to this website. It must be really important. So even if you get a link, most of these websites will also add what's called a rel nofollow. So because they don't want to forward their value to you, they're like, ah, well, that's just every other website. I'm not going to link to them. I'm not going to send them my value. And what's funny is as we started to work on this new Netflix page, uh, we put it out there into the world. We released it for everybody across the globe. And it started ranking slowly as, as we submitted it to Google. It, it ranked up over a period of a week or two. But once other websites started picking it up, once press picked up on it and linked to it, it shot up quickly. And even for terms that we weren't even trying to rank for because they were forwarding the value to us. They were forwarding search terms that we weren't even targeting. It's funny that over time, Google has, as the front page of the internet essentially, it's added its own sort of portal around the internet called Google AMP. And as we're talking about accessibility and user experience, Google and other search engines have provided featured snippets and rich features that pull from these websites and, you know, they'll present lyrics or recipes or videos, and that's designed to keep you on Google. And so over time, publishers are not only competing with each other, 
publishers are also competing with Google. So what does that mean? Like I know Google AMP is absolutely even, it came up even in our web performance <laughs> discussion in our, what, a couple episodes ago. And AMP is like an interesting subject too, where I think it's still to even the not really understanding the search engine algorithms is like AMP is still one of those ones where it's like really hard to know like how Google's actually thinking about how does that perform? Is AMP better for SEO? That's a good question. So from Google's perspective, AMP is important to SEO. It They rank it into the, the formula or the algorithm and uh, a site that runs quicker, it loads quicker in your browser, that's going to rank higher. AMP is one of those tools to do that. And so it's it's a battle for developers to either go the AMP route or try to optimize their website by you know, hitting that 170 kilobytes critical rendering path, optimizing your images, delivering less content, and kind of prioritizing text content over these heavy resources that take longer to load. Wow. AMP is an interesting one. I feel like we need a whole episode on Say, so we, we could do a yeah. whole episode on uh, accelerated mobile pages. And yeah, we'll, we'll have people disagree. I will probably disagree with somebody, at least one person on the episode. <laughs> Trying really hard not to say that I hate AMP. <laughs> I know. Like, well, Jem, you were talking earlier about, like, searching for the DMV, and you, you know, you get some other site because you don't really know the URL for DMV. But, like, with AMP obfuscating the URLs a little bit, like, that's problematic, too, because now how do you know what's the authority like an authoritative source like is that is that truly right. a trusted source or did they just you know game the system again and use amp because they made the thing that they built super fast with amp but like it's not the authoritative place right because the url when you click into it actually shows google right mm -hmm. like yeah. it still stamps it as a google url that's a good point although maybe like tech people are the only ones really looking at urls to to know if they feel comfortable or not like maybe that's not a normal a normal thing for for people outside of tech but something i think about that's interesting too though i i know back in the day seo it, it mattered to think about how your url was structured too mm -hmm. like obviously you're not going to have like frontendhappyhour.com slash one two three four five six seven eight nine ten episode it's like what is that like it's not clear um but if you're if you're actually putting terms into your url and, and human readable urls are actually helpful for seo cole is that still a thing it is so urls they they're not just in your address bar they're linked into facebook status messages tweets um articles and those count as keywords too. And so you'll see sites, as, as you say, they'll add these friendly URLs with the, the keywords, cheers, cheers, that relate cheers. to that relate to um, what the content is on the page because they're trying to capture those terms as well. And what's funny is as, as AMPs become more mature, um, it's keeping users on Google. So like, it's not just the URL, you're, you're searching for your favorite song, you're getting lyrics and you're staying on Google. Uh, rather than clicking through to that site, you know, finding other songs, you're now searching for something else. And so Google has become a publisher. That's true. I mean, they've, I guess they've always kind of had different ways of publishing, but yeah, you're right. Even more so in their search pages, there's more publishing. And like I've met some of the engineers that work on AMP and we've had Adi Osmani on here and we've had a few people from Google on here and 
I, I believe Amp Chris, is Chris Baxter. Baxter, yeah. And like you talk to them, I think they're not. I think they're well intentioned. They're like, well, we have this way of taking all this content, putting it in a wrapper, putting it on our CDNs, stripping out the extraneous content, and making it faster, making it a better experience for everybody. And so they're like, yeah, we're making the web a better place. But I think other people outside of Google see it as monopolistic and like, well, you have to use Google as your, you have to rank high in Google if you're going to be successful generally as a website. And Google now has a license to take some of that content and put it on the front page. So people never even click into your site anymore. And it's, it's a fine line between making the web better and uh, being um, paternalistic and like just doing way like, oh, you don't know, you don't know what you're doing. So we're going to do it for you. Which, like, majority of people, 99% of websites probably don't know what they're doing. So I get it. But, like, I don't know, man. You you get into weird things about monopolies and, like, just abuse of power. Mm-hmm. We, we, could, we should do an episode on AMP. We should definitely do an episode on AMP. Right, because what if you're publishing SavingOrphans.com, but this other set website is using AMP and they rank higher. So now, not only are they getting the credit for those terms, but you're not even receiving the traffic anymore. Oh, and there's a danger, and we haven't touched on it too much, but there's a danger, much like trademark, in that if someone starts ranking higher than you and they consistently rank higher than you and then other sites reference that as like the definitive source for, I don't know, Cole Turner's dog. And I'll, and Cole has the blog. It's, it's Coco. It's his dog. But like if I start a website and other people start a website, we start ranking higher and higher and higher. I become the definitive source for Cole's dog or whatever subject we're talking about. And then there's a danger in just slipping from the front page. And you're like, wait, wait, I'm the original person who created this. And now I've lost all control over it. I can't rank higher because people just keep stealing my keywords and things like that. And it's much like trademark. Cheers. Cheers. Like trademark law is if you don't defend your trademark, you will lose it. And like, so you, it's the same thing for SEO. If you don't actively have an SEO strategy, you will lose. And like it, you have to have it these days. Otherwise, there's a chance that some other company is going to come along, take your idea, and then just rank higher and then put you out of business without without you making a single bad decision other than not focusing on SEO. I like your thought on that one too. Is like you, It's this constant battle. You can't give up, basically. If you want to continue succeeding, you have to keep going. We started to talk about this a little bit earlier in the episode, but really around the measurement side of things. And it's not easy. Like you, you, you don't know exactly when things are going to happen. But I'd be curious, Cole. I know you've even had experience working with Google search searching tools, uh, but also like thinking about this strategically for Netflix and how we've optimized certain things and measured it. But like, what are ways to measure it? If you were wanting to to know, even on your personal site, is like, how did you start to know? Was it just literally going to Google and be like, did I rank? Did I rank? Oh, now I'm on like the sixth page, and I'm on the fifth. Now I'm on the fourth. Like, how? What are ways to measure that? I'm I'm embarrassed to admit how often I've Googled myself in the last couple months <laughs> as as I've written more content. It's um yeah. So there's there's different ways to monitor your performance. The the trick is. You can't just Google yourself because your search results are personalized. You know, when I search for Cole Turner, it's favoring my posts and my my website because it knows who I am. But if you're searching for something like from incognito, then you'll get different results. That's where tools like Google Search Console and the Bing Search Console really come in hand because they're giving you the tools to monitor your performance. They're telling you 
what search queries that your users are looking for and how they land on your page. They're also telling you, hey, you know, this, this text is not readable or these URLs aren't, we can't index them. So they're, they're giving publishers the tools that they need to make better decisions. I've seen um, like Lighthouse, which is built in to, to DevTools and Chrome. I know there's like, if you have it, you know, assess your site, it gives you um, advice to say like, oh, for better SEO, you should do this and this. So they provide some, that's kind of built into the tooling a little bit there. There's actually a Netflix original that just came out. It is called um, The Social Dilemma. And they literally talk about the exact thing we're talking about right now, which is like how curated things are. And Google, or Cole just said, if you search in incognito, sometimes you can get different results than when you search in your browser, which you're signed in. That's because Google is curating the search results for you. So essentially it's funneling you to kind of think the same way you've always been thinking and like reinforce your same ideas. And there is a danger there. I know we're a bit off topic of SEO, but it, I don't know. It, it's not just there's one algorithm that applies to you every single time. It, it is tweaked constantly and it's totally personalized for you. And I don't think we realize that, that we all see a slightly different internet than each other. We all see slightly different ads. We all see slightly different content that is personalized for us. And it's totally influencing our opinions. And we just never give it any thought. We can do another episode on that too. Yeah, no, I think, but this all feeds into it. I think like exactly what Cole mentioned of like how your searches are personalized. You know, I think there's some value to being personalized, but there's also things that we're maybe being heavily influenced to or biased to because of that. It's like, we all have our biases. And then it's like, oh great, all my internet searches are just like, hey, I know what Ryan wants. I'm just going to give him this. Like, that's not great. It's like, so then I'm not even able to maybe skew my bias. And so search absolutely is playing into that but i do agree we should do a full episode on algorithms and it's such an interesting topic it is and aside from the personalization you know they they will give you what results they think that you want but in terms of as a publisher when you're trying to monitor okay well am i reaching users is am i reaching you know gem with this article about switzerland or am i reaching you know, these users about this new article that I posted, the, the key is you're checking how you're checking your traffic, you're checking how many users are coming to these pages, and then pairing that with the tools that Google provides to say, okay, well, these are the search queries that I should be optimizing for. These are the keywords that users are searching to land on my page. Cheers. 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 So with that, I think this is a good time for us to jump into picks. At the end of each episode, we like to choose picks of things that we found interesting and would like to share with you all listening. Let's go around our virtual table because we are not together anymore. <sighs> still depressing, but we're still recording, so that's great. Uh, Stacy, you want to start off and share your picks? Sure. I've got two picks, uh, music picks. The first one is uh, a song called uh, The Difference by John Hopkins. Uh, it's a remix. So originally Flume and Toro Imoy um, made that track. Um, this one is sort of more experimental, drum and bassy, jungly. Um, the, someone described it as turning the difference into a kaleidoscope wonderland underpinned by richly layered percussion and atmospherics. <laughs> Um, which I think is a really beautiful way to describe what, what John Hopkins does. I also feel like that's probably a good SEO description. <laughs> <laughs> Some is. good keywords in there. 
Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. And the second pick is uh, a song called Puzzle by Trenta Moiler. Um, it's a remix of an artist called Tom and his computer. Um, this one's sonically a bit different than things I usually pick, um, but I like Trenta Moiler a lot, so I was, I'm always curious when he does a remix. And uh, it was described as fat, chunky drums meet Vox organ, fuzz guitar, and freestyling synths in a riot of color and playfulness. So check those That's out. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> These descriptions are just like selling me. I don't even, even if it's not good, I'm like, I love those descriptions. Jim, what do you have for us? Uh, I have uh, one, you know, Stacey, I, I don't like my music with a riot of color. I, I like a small gathering of color in my music. So, you know. A peaceful protest of color? Yeah, it's probably not for me. Uh, <laughs> no, your music picks are always on point. Uh, I have two picks today. The first one is called uh, Drivey.js. It's it's awesome because it's this procedurally generated full screen experience of just driving through different things like a city or an industrial landscape or things like that. And it, it's all like completely automated, completely procedurally generated. And there's a playlist to go along with it on Spotify. So if you see something on your background, I don't know, you have a giant screen somewhere, you can just put it up. Put, put on driving.js and put on some background music and just kind of chill. It, it's really peaceful and you can adjust it and things like that. I, I think it's really impressive uh, piece of work. The second one is a show I uh, my wife and I just finished watching called The Titan Games. It's hosted by the world's most popular actor, uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And essentially, it's, it's a series of competitive challenges, um, a la... I don't know, Ninja Warrior or many other competitive challenges, but I don't know. We, we found the whole thing wholesome and it's just good television. And, you know, you can never have too much good television, especially in these times. Right on, Cole. What do you have for us? Speaking of television, uh, I just started Away on Netflix with uh, it's, it's Hillary Swank in space. They're going to Mars, the first women on Mars, the first mission on Mars. And going into this, I had no expectations, but I was blown away by the visuals, by the story, by just how impactful it comes together. And I'm, I haven't finished yet, so no spoilers, please. Uh, my second pick is a book. Uh, so I make homemade ice cream and every recipe that I've tried from this book has blown my mind. It's The Perfect Scoop by David Leibovitz. And so like I've done matcha, coffee lemon verbena pistachio just oh so good and then because gem didn't pick something bougie this time i will take <laughs> gold belly food delivery ryan you were telling me about this and i got some i so i got the pastrami sandwich delivered and oh like you can get anything from across the country and so i'm really i'm, I'm kind of living out my silicon valley lifestyle or my, my dream to <laughs> just order food from New York or Texas and have it show up. And just... It is pretty cool. My wife got me that as a gift and like I had a pastrami sandwich from New York and it was delicious. Like it was so cool. Like overnight showed up to my door. Um, I had no idea. I just like was like, what's this package? And I'm like, oh, this is great. Which is crazy because Cole, I, I obviously I follow you on Twitter and you're you're an amazing cook. So it's like it's funny your pick is to order food from Gold Billy is, is 
you know, I, I don't know. There's some sort of irony there. It's probably lost on me, but that's the bougie <laughs> aspect. Good cooks, Jim. Like you got to test other foods to learn how to cook, right? That's true. Yeah, that's true. I got a lot of ideas from it. So I have two picks. Nothing. Uh, actually, yeah, maybe one thing that's kind of bougie. I blame Cole for this one, too. But uh, I'll start off with my less bougie pick, which is really funny. And it's probably not the best time as summer's ending. But I found a really good sunscreen. And I'm sorry, but a lot of the sunscreens you buy off the shelf, they're like greasy and gross. And like if you put it on while you're still in the car all over your leather or like whatever interior you have. And it's like kind of gross. It's just very gross. So I found this one called Kula sunscreen. It's an organic. It's really nice. It's like doesn't, it's not as greasy. I don't feel greasy when I put it on. And, and the reason why sunscreen is a big deal for me is being heavily tattooed, I put a lot of sunscreen on because tattoos fade in the sun. So put on lots of sunscreen. And I, I literally got asked this the other day. is like, how are your tattoos so still like holding up with color? I'm like, I use a shit ton of sunscreen. So I want to find one that's not greasy. And this one has been very good to me all summer long. So I'm, I'm going to share that one. You should do keywords for... You, you should write SEO for sunscreen. <laughs> exactly, right? Like a description of sunscreen for ta- people with tattoos. And then my bougie pick... Which, I mean, bougie in the sense that they're, like, pricey, but uh, headphones. Um, I bought a pair of headphones that actually Cole recommended. I was finding, okay, we're in this remote world. I'm on meetings literally all day long and wanted headphones. Like, I was, like, I the AirPods, you know, they're okay. I'm not really, have never really been a big fan of Bluetooth, mainly because they the battery dies on them and then you have to charge them, all that AirPods last like three or four hours, kind of useless when you have like six to eight hours worth of meetings. So I got a pair of Bose uh, 700 headphones. They're comfy. They sound amazing. Noise canceling. And they last 16, 17 hours or something. So they're, they're amazing. I can use them all day long. Sometimes I even forget to charge them and they're still good the next day for my meetings. Uh, so they've been really good. They're, I mean, Headphones can get expensive, so that's why it's maybe on the bougier side. But it's not a wasteful thing like this uh, Valley Silicon Picks. They they have been useful. I use them every single day. Oh, they're amazing. I, I, I you know my counter pick is the of course Sony XM <laughs> XM3s, which I have, which are the rival to the Bose, and they're pretty comparable. I I think in the office people get pretty heated because usually one of the two. Uh, yeah. You know, I think mine look better than the Bose's, but you know. I'm not going to start any arguments on a podcast. You know, it's funny, though. The reason I looked at those ones and chose the Bose ones is I heard the XM4s are going to be better, Mm. that they they trade off devices better and everything. The Bose ones do that already. So I wasn't waiting. I chose the Bose over that. These things last 30, 30 hours. 30 hours, I don't need to charge it all week. Whoa. That, that's pretty good. All right. I, the Bose ones aren't lasting that long. But I actually think they look better. They're very different profiles. Like, teach, teach their own. I disagree. <laughs> Sorry. The Sony looks better on Gem, but the Bose looks <laughs> Very, very democratic of you. That, that was a good call. I'm neutral Switzerland. <laughs> So before we end the episode, uh, thanks so much, Cole, for joining us, sharing some great wisdom on SEO. Uh, It was a pleasure having you join us. Where can people get in touch with you? You can reach out to me on Twitter. My username is Cole Turner. If you want to see pictures of my ice cream, the food I cook, or my dog, you can follow me there and 
I'd love to hear from you. And where should they put backlinks to a website? Cold.codes, please. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you could backlink to frontendhappyhour.com. That's always a good one too. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. Like I said, you can find us at frontendhappyhour.com. Subscribe to us on whatever you like to listen to podcasts on. We're pretty much on everything. If we're not on something, let us know and I'll make sure that we are available there. You can also follow us on Twitter at frontendhh. Any last words? All my thoughts are gems. (laughs) I'll take it. Big mistake. (laughs) 